1: So I hope you'll check out the book. Uh, We're now working on one about cancer, but this is going to be our goal is uh, three times a year to come out with these masterclass books that I think will inspire new scientific research, and I hope you'll check it out. Thank you.
2: Hello, this is Richard Jacobs with the Finding Genius Podcast, now a part of the Finding Genius Foundation. I have uh, Dr. Lee Merritt. She was a physician and surgeon in the United States Navy. She completed a spinal surgery fellowship and spent 25 years in private practice. She served on the board of the Arizona Medical Association and on the Naval Research Advisory Committee, where she looked at medical defense issues with the military. She's a past president of the Association of American Physicians and Surgeons, and uh, we're going to talk about the current situation of COVID and her thoughts and experiences with it. So, Lee, thanks for coming.
3: Yeah, thanks for having me.
2: Yeah, tell me what, what was your your practice and your life like, you know, as of March last year, and then you know, how did you first come to right COVID and then we'll, go yeah.
3: there. well i was an orthopedic surgeon so i in the past i did trauma and i did the whole thing but i'm semi-retired so i was back in the midwest and i was working part-time when this whole thing started and i do have like i said i spent nine and a half years myself in the military so i i have as a surgeon so i have some understanding of issues beyond just the disease aspect of this and i when it first started coming across china i said i wasn't too worried I have a friend that used to work at USAMR our bioweapons lab at Fort Detrick, and I would call him and say, hey, should I worry about this one? And I know always in the past, he said no, but he suggested that we watch this one. So beginning in about December, when Dr. Lee first started squeaking in Wuhan about something bad happening, I started paying attention. And so I think I was a little bit ahead of the curve. By the time it really started taking off in January and February, I mean, I had been in contact with people all over the world watching this. And doctors, you know, and we've been we knew about, for example, hydroxychloroquine very early on this whole thing. And and we watched how it was coming across Asia. I wasn't too worried until it hit Lombardy, Italy. And I have to say, when it hit Italy, I started to worry a little bit because when doc, this is when people should take to take warning uh, when doctors and nurses, frontline people are dying. And they can't save themselves there's something really bad going on. But that was short lived, you know, I mean, we pretty much we've gotten it under control since then. Now, and and New York, it was kind of bad for a while, apparently in New York, but the real point to be made is that as time goes on, almost all viruses attenuate. So meaning it gets weaker. When it goes through the human host, if you want to be the Napoleon of viruses, you can't kill everybody that you come across or you won't transmit yourself. So you learn to be more transmissible, but less deadly. That's what happens in in, in nature. And I think- to,
2: Yeah, to, that's to actually us, what they uh, talk, describe some of the mutations as uh, right. more transmissible, but not necessarily more deadly.
3: Yeah, yeah. and that's natural occurring. So that, that may have been partly what happened, but also people around the world figured out how we could treat this. And one of the things that I think to be said is that if you look at the big picture here, the virus by itself is not a pandemic. This is not a pandemic, it never was a pandemic. Uh, Not that we shouldn't have taken some precaution early. Um, The only thing I would have done was stop air transport maybe in and out of the country or in and out of it in the country for just a little while till we really got a handle on it but as soon as we figured out that there was treatment there we knew what it was we knew kind of what was going on we should have opened that up and just stopped this nonsense however what it has become is a huge psychological operation against us i believe i don't think this is by accident i think there's whether whether it came I'm not saying it came out purposely but however this thing was released I can tell you absolutely it was upregulated in a lab this is not a naturally occurring virus I can tell you it was upregulated in the lab how how and why it was released that I don't know but I can tell you at this point is being used far beyond the necessity of doing all these different things okay and when you really put that in perspective, you know they, there was no, no evidence that masks work against these kind of viruses until 2020. They started fabricating these articles that made it sound like there were things you could do to, that masks made a difference in. The CDC's own literature shows it doesn't matter. It, when they looked at influenza, which is a slightly larger virus than this and probably not quite as transmissible, all the things that they're doing—hand washing, uh, wearing a mask disinfecting the environment none of those were shown to work against flu so if it doesn't work against that it's not working against this and the, you know the evidence-based medicine people out of oxford agree with me i mean this is this is not i you know it's not the say there's the subject of a whole talk and i have it on my website people can watch that masks don't work what does work is early treatment and the the really big lie here and i have a paper published about this the biggest lie here is that we we lost you know, 40% of the deaths in this country were in nursing homes. Now, you have to ask yourself why it is in New York State, by the end of, now I looked at the numbers from January to August, in New York State, the death rate was 0.17%. That was the worst in the world. So you still, in New York State, and the worst place I could find in the world in August, was 99.83 chance of survival. You know, it's not the plague. It's not smallpox it's not even the pandemic of 1918 this is a, a flu season with a little worse and a little bit of a different twist to it overall last year you had worldwide you had a 99.991 percent chance of survival in uh, previous year when we, i looked at the flu chance of survival the standard viral season that we always have it was 99.992 percent Every winter, we lose old people and we lose other people to these, these viral illnesses. Now, the real issue is, do we need to lose as many? And that's my argument. You want to look at where the best rate of death in this, war, in this was, in this disease, to put this in perspective, it was Uganda, okay? We think of Uganda as this, you know, third world a dictatorial place that, that doesn't have the facilities we do. And you might be right. I mean, I don't know what their politics are over there right now, but they are free enough to, that we are not. They are free enough to walk down to the corner store and buy hydroxychloroquine over the counter. So their death rate from this was 0.00003%, 10,000 times better than New York State with all its fancy doctors I trained out there, all its fancy doctors and hospitals, okay? Wow. so You really have to, that to me is the big picture here. Then you have to ask yourself, when you move on looking from there, the other thing that blew my head open, besides the hydroxychloroquine lie, because we knew 40 years ago pound that, and so every year they told you, oh, get your flu vaccine because 60,000 people last year died of flu. It turns out we could have probably saved a lot of those people, but we that that stuff was suppressed that information was suppressed no it wasn't just missed it was suppressed a long I mean, it has been levels.
2: suppressed for years you mean or what for
3: years i found i went back and i um, again, I'm not a virologist and I'm not a chemist, but I went back and I know how to read science. And I went back and I went to the basic science and the medical literature. And I went, you know, I'd go from paper to reference and paper to reference because I was sitting home like everybody else in the lockdown with nothing to do because I'm not an emergency surgeon anymore. I'm just an elective surgeon. So I was all shut down. So I had a lot of time to research this. and I found papers going back to 1974 at least that showed that they knew about these agents, how how chloroquine, for example, which is the predecessor of hydroxychloroquine, how chloroquine could stop replication of viruses in cells. Okay.
1: Before we continue, I've been personally funding the Finding Genius podcast for four and a half years now, which has led to 2,700-plus interviews of clinicians, researchers, scientists, CEOs, and other amazing people who are working to advance science and improve our lives and our world. Even though this podcast gets
3: Now, we were taught, I was taught in medical school, I graduated in 1980, that there was no way we could treat viruses uh, like we treat antibiotics for bacteria. You didn't have a cell wall, couldn't treat it with antimicrobial agents. So when I started reading all this stuff, and I realized we'd been lied to, and the literature had been suppressed, the teaching of medicine and pharmacology had been suppressed for 40 years, I wanted to make sure I wasn't crazy. I called my son, who's also a physician, I said you graduated just recently, What what, did you ever hear? And he's still in training. I said, did you ever hear that we could treat viruses with antimicrobial agents? Nope. I called my good friend who's 40 years, just retired, but he's 40 year professor of medicine. I mean, this is a real doctor here, not an orthopedic surgeon like I am. And And he was in a big university. And I said, have you ever heard this? Even an inkling about it? Because usually in medical education, even though we're not using something for treatment, if it's in the research phase, we hear about it. You know, we know that it's going on, and hey, we may get this next year. We might start trying to do this. Never heard a word, and that tells you that somebody kept this quiet for a long time. And we could talk about why that might be. I think it's—I think there's a reason, but it's not just about money. It's about control and it's about the ability to treat these viruses. So now, now we have now we are in a situation where we're being told a bunch of nonsense and things that. The thing that also got my attention is. Um, I actually fell asleep right in front of Tony Fauci. I trained in Bethesda. He was out there. I mean, I know these are not dumb people, okay? They can't be wrong about everything. On random chance alone, our experts in this country should have been right about something, okay? They were wrong about testing. They were wrong about treatment. They were wrong about masks. They were wrong about social distancing. Why? Really? Could you not be right? Here's a simple one, okay? Okay we've known for decades that vitamin D helped you your immune system to prevent you from getting sick with viruses. Okay. right. Yeah. We we didn't push it. I admit standard medicine didn't push it, but we knew about it. So in a situation like this, when you've now worried about something, that little message could have gotten out. I kept waiting for all the billions of dollars that we gave to the CDC and taxes and everything over the years. Why did they not even mention that? Well,
2: that was my question here is, you know, the guidelines are all The guidelines to me should have sounded like this: you know, help prevent the spread of COVID. Make sure you get out, you know, fifteen twenty minutes of sun every day for your vitamin D. You know, make sure yes you wash your hands. Make sure you interact with friends and you know keep keep keeping good social, uh, keep up your relationships, etc. That kind of thing. Instead, they said all the opposite: hide away and don't talk to anybody.
3: Right. And it turns out every one of those recommendations that they gave you made the situation worse, made your immune system worse did not help improve the immune system of the herd they want to talk about, which is a little bit overblown, but everything they did made things worse. So you have to ask why. So I kept waiting for them to say something about, first of all, if if they're really wanting to dissect what's going on, they should look at the two groups of people. The first group being the 99 percent of people that walk away from this disease mostly without medical care right they get they get the flu or they get they get a flu-like illness or they get a cold and it's gone for children it's very minimal okay there's that group but then there's the small group that get really sick and sometimes die what's the difference well the cdc couldn't come up with that simple answer but the indonesians did they look at they looked at over 700 hospitalized patients now this is in the hospital. So these are this is even more impressive if you generalize it to the world. They looked at what was what happened, what was the difference between the people going to the ICU and dying versus everybody else in their hospital that turned it around and left, right? And the answer was vitamin D level. If your vitamin D level is above 30, that's the magic number for viruses, 60 for cancer. So I'd try and get it above 55 for real, you know. They didn't die. They, if your level was above 30, that's a very low level of D. If you like this podcast, please click the link in the
0: description to subscribe and review us on iTunes.
3: But you need to take supplements. Quite frankly, the idea that you can get it from the sun is wrong. And I I mean, I I used to practice in Yuma, Arizona. It's the sunniest city in America. I had patients that played golf 18 holes a day, six days a week in the sunniest city in America. I didn't usually test them, but once in a while, they'd want to get tested. I tested one. Level was 20. OK, really? <laughs> that's the death level in the sunniest city in America. So these farmers and people that like to be out, these joggers and stuff, you're not getting it. We live too far above the, the, the equator. The only people that are going to get the right amount in nature are people that are naked living in a loincloth on a, on the equator. And we're not that. So they don't. And then people don't shower. I mean, there's all sorts of things you have to do to get the right levels naturally. But we don't do that. It Nobody's dead. Nobody No adults have overdosed on 10,000 units a day. You have to at least take five. So that's a simple thing they could have told us. Why didn't they, right? Why didn't they tell us the importance of zinc once they found it out? Again, you're still not hearing anything from the official medical people in America on how to make things better. And I think that's not by accident. I'll just tell you, the big gorilla in the room that nobody wants to talk about is what is this really all about? And it's not about treating COVID anymore. now having said that they own the media here and they own, the people bringing us this show have the they can craft this the reality around us with with all sorts of information and disinformation and what I, the, I have a
2: quick 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 question for you here, really. Lee. Yeah. in the u.s people could have put it off to you know the election and trump and they wanted to get rid of him et etc but worldwide what i didn't get is why did no nation or group of nations say we're going to pool our money together we're going to figure this out we're going to do what it takes and, you know, get all the data together. And just no one has.
3: like. Well, that's you know, not that's true. It. They have. Actually, there is a lot oh. of data out there. Okay. You're not getting it in America. So, okay. for example, in Sweden, they didn't do any of these things. Sweden had, had 1.9 million school children last year. They did not miss a day of school. They did not social distance. They did not wear masks. They didn't do anything. And not one child died. Okay? Now, why are we terrorizing our children and putting them in these horrible masks and restricting them from school. And then when they go to school, they sit behind sometimes these little plastic shields. It's terror. Really, we're damaging our children terribly with this. And it's unnecessary of all the people. The other the other thing we you should know, the Chinese looked at 10 million people and they looked at the context, people that lived within households of people with COVID. Early on, they did this and they found no transmission of the virus with asymptomatic people. Okay, so even if you believe and and by the way, there's no evidence that this really helps protect in a really complete way medical care personnel but you can even if you want to argue that medical personnel may get some benefit to in a, in a very high risk environment that is very different than the community putting everybody in a mask there is no evidence for
2: and I agree, I agree but why, why do why were doctors I guess was everyone cowed everyone in the know that's a doctor or you know is a virologist or whatever I mean are they just doubting their own knowledge? Like
3: you know, well, that's what that's what I so like you when and I'll say this for about hydroxychloroquine. Let's let's do. It's easier to talk about that in terms of the a conspiracy here because there's clearly one in that one. Let's just talk about that for a second. So when it first came out that we knew about this, I thought it was going to take off and we were going to be out of this in a month, you know. But what happened is, and then President Trump said, you know, don't worry, I think we've got this. It's you know hydroxychloroquine seems to work for this. And then you know, it didn't work out that way. We got people, we got governors making it illegal. We had falsification of medical papers to try and convince you it didn't work. But but there was really there were international studies that showed that it worked. In fact, if you look around the world, there was an online open architecture study that was done. The people could upload their series. They would review them. And they would put in the treatment protocols, they would they would do all these things, they had lots of data. And it showed that if you lived in a country that used hydroxychloroquine early and often, your chance of death was 78% less than those countries, which sadly, the majority countries where they didn't do those things. And it didn't have to do just with latitude and heat and humidity and stuff. It had to do with whether you use these drugs or not. So so this all was coming out. Um, you know, the president, now dead, interestingly, of of Tanzania, early on said, we're not doing these things. He tested a pawpaw, a sheep, and some other things. And they all tested positive for COVID. And he said, he's a chemist. He was a PhD chemist, the the president of Tanzania. And he said, this is nonsense. We're not getting involved in this. We're not going to play this game. And we're not going to vaccinate our people with this stuff. And now he's dead you know at 61 years old so who knows about that but I'm just saying when you say what's going on and how this could be how all these doctors could be wrong there's three groups of doctors here I'll just say there's the people on the top like Tony Fauci who are being paid let's face it this we've seen this before there's a huge money that comes from the NIH We didn't appreciate it until now, but there's over $800 billion crossed his desk, crossed the NIH, the NIAID that that goes out to hospitals, research people, all the people that, and 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 you cross them, you know, you you go against the the will of that money stream, you're not going to get funded. So you have to understand that we're listening to people that are being paid. Now, underneath that, we have a big group of people who are just convinced because they've been convinced over their lifetime that whatever those people say is right. And everybody else is wrong. There's a tendency in medicine to think I'm in the big university. We have the answers. You people out in private practice don't. Well, let me tell you um, you know, that's not what the case is here. It turns out just to be opposite. And you'll see people that are afraid. People are getting it. People are afraid to go to the hospital because they realize that that's the problem that they that they could die there they're not going to get the right treatment and then below those people are are the people and there are some good people in that middle that just don't want to get out of the system because they're they're it's their job and they're getting paid and they got a wife and two kids and they, they have a mortgage and they're afraid to step out of line so they're doing again what the money stream is telling them to do and the money stream is pushing remdesivir it's not pushing it's it's denying hydroxychloroquine and 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 that's just provable you can go through the All the literature that came out and and showed, like I say, they actually got caught falsifying the literature. So on the bottom, you have people in training and they can't step out. So there are very few doctors left in this country, in our country. Now there are around the world, but there are very few left doctors in this country that are either retired, you know, kind of like me, semi-retired, or they are not, or they're private practitioners. They're actually working for themselves and for their patients, not for some corporate medical thing. But but beyond that, you have to say that on random chance alone if they'd cared to do things right they would have made this better they could have told us these and so you really you know you can argue one
2: one thing yeah one thing i saw is like uh okay if if they're saying masks work for instance you know where is the study showing it and the studies show the opposite that i've read and i mean social distancing there is no study it's just Right. It's a made-up, I don't know, wives' tale or something.
3: It's, well, it's there's actually a study by uh, Lydia, and I have a big a reference list to this. Lydia Baruba, actually, when she heard, and I when I heard that six feet, I said, oh, that's scientific nonsense. That's a made-up number. You don't get numbers like that with real science studies. But, but Lydia Baruba is a physicist at MIT, and she's decided to look at this. And she showed just on on high-speed photography and, and cultures, I believe, that, they, that, the, that these viruses go out 27 and a half feet at the... She could demonstrate that, they probably go farther. If you read the literature that we had before 2020 that was not looking to make a point, they were, not, they were not being coerced by money, okay? They showed how this really works and it doesn't work by the way that we're being told. It doesn't work that I sit next to you without a mask, I blow on you and I infect you, okay? The way it works is if you're sick, by the way, it's not the asymptomatic people, but if you're sick and you're in an environment, even if I wore a mask, if I just took it down for a moment to take a sip of a drink, during that moment of breathing, those little tiny viruses go out of my mouth and become part of air fluidity. They they just float around in the atmosphere all over. And they're tiny, tiny, tiny particles. They go through all the masks that we own, even the N93 masks. N95 masks, and there isn't, the people think masks work because we've been, you know, you can see it, you, you sneeze or cough, and you can see what collects in your mask, but unfortunately what they don't tell you, that's not the disease producing part of what you blow out, it's the stuff you don't see that's infectious, so that is, it's a completely false narrative about masks, same thing about hydroxychloroquine making you sick, that was a completely false narrative, we never heard any of that stuff before 2020 this is all being crafted now and and the devastating it's a devastating attack on our human on our very humanity here you and just i i asked my couple people this i said if you don't think there's a a little weirdness going on why would mcgill university take it upon themselves to personally attack me in an article they wrote about american frontline doctors the second line was Lee Merritt might be a good orthopedic surgeon, but she doesn't know about the science of masks. Well, yes, I do know about the science of masks, actually, and I've worn one for 40 years. Not that that gives me any credibility. But why would they come and attack me about this? And I will tell you why. Because masks are not about controlling diseases. It's about controlling us. It's a symbol of obedience. And if, yep. you, and if you decide you're just going to take the mask off and other people go along with it, then... This whole nightmare falls apart. It becomes, the lie becomes evident because people will take it off and they'll go, oh, nothing happened to me. Now,
2: well, I, you know, what, why, um, well, not why, but what, what I've seen, unfortunately, is that uh, people have been turned against each other. They're policing each other. Like, you know, I'm in here in Texas. Right. They removed the mask mandate, but this, you know, the same day, all the businesses said, nope, you got to still wear them. We're we're not going to serve you if you don't wear them. So it's now people just you know beating each other down instead of the government.
3: And that's what they want, you know. And we can argue who they are, but that that is the classic divide and conquer strategy. I mean, think about it. it who benefits from that? the the people The people that don't want real real uh, control of the pe- by the people of the people. You know, you have to always divide us, whether it's on race, sex, religion. And now it's whether you wear a mask or not it's a very handy control mechanism they did the same thing in nazi germany i heard a 93 year old lady she was on the you probably saw her she's been on the internet she was at one of these rallies up in calgary or canada somewhere i don't think she was calgary oh,
2: Vera, Vera Schall, yeah.
3: and she said i'm 93 years old this is worse than what i lived through the holocaust i'm jewish this is the worst this is worse than i lived through there because this is so insidious but when I see people wearing these masks, I think of the yellow star, essentially, is what she said. And again, if you look at what happened in, not, in that day and age, what happened when they went into Denmark and they told the Danes, OK, because they wanted to separate the Jews from the non-Jews. And they, they said, Y'all, all you Jews have to wear a yellow star. And the king of Denmark, God love him, said, we are all Jewish today. And he put on a yellow star. And everybody wore a yellow star for a day, probably. And it all went away. Because if everybody does it, nobody will do it. You know, it doesn't matter. But in this case, it's even, a, it's not. You know, you know,
2: what, you know what's funny? You know, well, it's not funny, but you know, who was censored was Dr. Seuss. And remember yeah. the story of the sneetches <laughs> with the stars on their bellies. Right,
3: it's right. It's kind of
2: ironic that that was censored too.
3: Oh they censor the things that you wouldn't expect. But but my point the reason I'm getting censored on this mask thing, that's the number one video I've made that has been taken off YouTube, taken anywhere it goes it seems to get locked make, taken down. And the reason is because they know that's key to the um to this whole takedown. And and let me just point out a, a similar thing has happened in the past. And I learned this from a very smart guy, a professor at Princeton, but I should have known it because I I grew up around Omaha, Nebraska, where the railroads went out west. And we had Chinese in the 1800s that came over and worked those railroads. And we all picture the Chinese in the the old pictures that they had this big braid down their back. Their hairstyle was a big, long braid that was called the Manchu Q, but that wasn't their hairstyle. Those were Han Chinese. And Han Chinese had been conquered. They were the majority, they still are, the majority ethnic group in China. But at the time in the 1800s, they had been conquered by the Manchu. And the Manchu emperor, now the Manchu dynasty, he insisted every Han man wear that queue as an obedience to the, Han, uh, to, the, to the Manchu emperor on penalty of death. And they would literally send secret agents over to America to make sure that the Chinese over here were wearing that queue on penalty of death, because otherwise it showed you were not obedient to the emperor. And so I would say to people, never underestimate the power of symbols. The problem here, besides the fact they don't work, the problem with this symbol is it's actually damaging us. There are several bad things about this. And the first one is when you wear a mask for any period of time, Almost all of these masks, other than the most useless ones that have and I recommend this if you 're going to wear one wear the most useless one that little blue with the ear loop thing that you that says on the bio, box it doesn 't protect you against viruses but it's it 's a little tiny it 's very loose fitting and you can breathe easily okay because anything else these cloth masks specifically they and the n ninety five are the worst for the nurses they they hold carbon dioxide behind them, yes, you get oxygen and people you know they're worried about oxygen. It's not the oxygen to worry about. They, they, but you retain CO2 and we've actually measured at the AAPS. The the executive director has a CO2 monitor. She's a physician. And just, she noted that she could measure up to 10,000 parts per million behind a mask. Now, yeah. OSHA That's
2: against the background of 400.
3: Yeah. And and OSHA doesn't want you to go over one to 2000 in industry. So, what the problem is, and we know this part from people who have, this called hypercapnia. When you have too much, when you retain CO2, let's say you have chronic obstructive pulmonary disease or you've got lung cancer or something's going on with you. If you, cystic fiber, you know, people that, I don't know all the different, I'm not a pulmonologist, but all the different diseases where you retain CO2. What happens is your, your acid base balance changes a little bit and this retained CO2 triggers off certain things to happen in the body it triggers off inflammation and it triggers off in the brain inflammation is like one of the things that we we know is on the pathway to cancer and dementia and all these different things and one of the things in your brain it triggers these little cells called microglial cells that are responsible for creating dementia in some situations so what are we doing to all these nurses? We're forcing them to be eight hours in these masks. Yes, we've worn masks in the operating room. I don't think there's a big well, maybe my husband would disagree, but I don't think there's a big dementia outbreak among surgeons. But we don't wear them all day long. We take them off frequently. I mean, we're one and two hours done, you know. So that is an having this we've never done this to the our medical personnel before. And the second thing is. People that are not used to wearing it are even worse because you got people that are cardiac cripples, people with asthma. It's horrible. And they're using these cloth masks, which are not only obstructing their carbon dioxide and making that build up, they're collecting bacteria on the mask. And we know that that's not good. It turns out in the one controlled study of masks that was done in a Vietnamese hospital published in the British Medical Journal in 2018 they showed that wearing a mask increases your risk of respiratory infections six to 13 times more than if you didn't wear a mask. So there's something. So, and the other thing that this hypercapnia does, the CO2 retention does, it decreases your immune effectiveness, your immune system's effectiveness. So everything is, so they're they're making it worse. The lockdowns, the lockdowns, they just came out with a paper. This was just published that showed when you're, when you get rhinovirus, which is your standard cold that goes around in the winter, it actually increases your ability to fight fight off SARS-CoV-2, this virus. So by keeping us in lockdown, you've also made people not as susceptible to these other lesser diseases that would have helped protect them from this. Gets their immune system going in the winter. So, they do. so on every way. But the, here's the really, really bad thing that's happening. They're damaging a whole generation of our children. You know you need, when you're, you put me in a mask, you know, I I wear one in the OR, you put me in a mask, it's not going to make me crazy. And I'm a fully developed human. Okay, I I already know how to, to not only recognize faces, but be able to read people's emotions in their faces. And that's, there's two parts of facial recognition that the psychologists talk about. One is understanding who you're looking at. And the other is understanding what their face means to you. What's the are they communicating? Okay, the second one takes years to develop, and it goes through your teenage years. So children that are developing that psychosocial skill are being hampered in their psychosocial development significantly. I talked to my friend is a pediatric psychiatrist from L.A., and he said to me, I asked him at dinner, I said, what happens to these children now that have been, if we stop this mask nonsense today, would this go away? Would they be okay? And he said, no. He said, we've already damaged a generation of children that will probably last a lifetime into the next generation. Now he said the people that are older, that are gone from perfect home life, that have their egos strengthened and they're all pretty good and they pretty much know who they are, they'll be they'll be less damaged than the little kid who's from a bad home and, and is everything he's being taught fear, he's being taught to fear other people and not to associate. He doesn't have the normal structure. It's horrible. Horrible.
2: So how early did this turn political and, and how you know how else have you been attacked and other people you know?
3: Well, you know, I would say, well, so Simone Gold, my friend who started uh, American Frontline Doctors, she was fired simply for being an emergency room doctor that said, "Wait a minute, hydroxychloroquine actually works. Why are we not saving these people?" They didn't want her to use it, so she got fired. That's how she started the AFLDS.org. Okay. And so, you know, and I'm proud to be a member. I think she's done a great job at organizing the resistance here. And of course, she's a hit. They're gonna she's she's high on their hit list here the you what you really have to decide is who you think is really doing this is this really just the drug companies trying to make money it doesn't make sense they could have done this so much cheaper okay yes it you could say we've seen it before where in europe during the swine flu which was like like the last one was like in i think it was 2009 maybe eight or nine before that what here's what they did there and this is an object lesson to think about motive okay it, two or three years before that swine flu came out, the EMA, which is the equivalent in Europe of our FDA, that is funded by the drug companies primarily, as is our FDA, just so you know. It's not funded by the government. It is funded by the government, but that's not their prime source. It is the pharmaceutical companies by their own regulation, essentially. And that's what happens in Europe. So the, so the, all these pharmacy companies and these um maybe some of the big uh, like institutes and and like foundations contribute money to the EMA. The EMA then goes about changing the definition of what is a pandemic. So two years later, miraculously, the swine flu comes out and they get into a big panic and oh my God, this is gonna be the worst thing in the whole world, right? So they rush, 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 and they develop all these vaccines and these antivirals and they get these countries now that have been convinced it's a pandemic, which it used to be a pandemic had to have certain criteria. Now any worldwide disease is a pandemic. So technically the common cold every year is a pandemic. So all these companies, these countries were kind of pressured into buying, and to stockpiling these viruses and these, I mean, these antivirals and these vaccines. Well, that cost them a lot of money. Taxpayer dollars went into that. And then the virus fizzled out, okay? Turned out to be a nothing burger, but- Afterwards, what they were left with is a whole bunch of children in Europe, and I, and I think in America, they, we had some too, but I know the numbers in Europe, 700 children developed permanent lifelong narcolepsy, this, where you fall asleep uncontrollably from, from this vaccination program. And now, not only are they having to pay for their medical care and their socialized system, but the, com- but the countries had to also pay to destroy all these antivirals and vaccines, which turned out to be harmful. So, if you look at that whole cycle of activity, the only person this fleeced the taxpayer. It flee, it, it it cost billions and billions and billions of dollars worldwide to corporation or to uh, countries that then pawned that off on their taxpayer twice because they had to make them and then they had to, to get rid of them, dispose of these these bad things. And who benefited? The only people to benefit were the pharmaceutical companies. So at the, at the lowest level of motive, you have to say there's a motive, but I don't, when I first saw this whole thing with Trump, I thought, oh, this hydroxychloroquine works, but it's orange man bad. They don't like him. So they're going to say that's not it. Right. right. Uh, I don't think it's that. I have to tell you, because if it were just, here's a good point that a non-medical friend said to me, thinking again, because most people think the motive is money. They say, if it's really just money, well then, why did they spend so much money and time developing these vaccines? Why not just make? They don't work very well, according to the literature. Why not just make a, a, a kind of a placebo that's cheaper and convince you it's a good vaccine? They could probably right, do it well and yeah. make more money. And I said that's yeah. a very good point, but it isn't about money. It is about control. I mean, yes, they're going to go along with it. The pharmaceutical companies are happy to to make money along this. But if you really look, in my opinion, this is this is me now. See, I think we're at war and don't know it. I think this is a multidimensional war. It's, if you look at what's happening to not just America, but the world, but specifically, let's look at America. We're, in, we're being attacked with cybersecurity issues at our Pentagon and at other things. We have an electoral war going on. We have a, um, a, an economic war due to this whole COVID that this thing brought about. You know. at every level of our society now we have a social interaction we're getting like you said the capos and the and the people that don't want to wear the mask we're now separating us into resistors and to and to mask people you know the good people that care about their fellow man versus the mask people that don't you know it's just non-nonsense but at every level of our society we're in some kind of warfare that's an atypical no clear boundaries no clear battlefield war and then we had the the, the, the this was a bioweapon um Not very, not very lethal bioweapon, but along it came this psyop, this psychological warfare. And if you look at this, what they've done, it's, it's, there was a guy named Dr. Biederman. He was, Albert Biederman was a psychologist, and he was, after Korean War, he was asked to uh, evaluate the Korean War veterans. They were coming back, and some of these people, that's where we got the term brainwashing in Manchurian Canada, the idea that the Chinese and the North Koreans were somehow influencing our people to turn against their country and be moles and the, like spies and, oh, okay. or, and or you know government insiders that then really were working for them so he, albert biederman took these people apart aside because they were wondering if there's some magic potion they have or voodoo what are they using and he said no just standard psychologic techniques and he wrote and anybody can look this up it's actually a good thing to do it's called biederman's Chart of Con- Co- coercion and if you look at, and if you look at Biederman's chart of coercion he tells you and we use this quite frankly this is CIA you know everybody that does these kind of things that have prisoners this is what they do the first thing you do to get your prisoner to cooperate with you and and so you can take him over and his 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 actions is to isolate him okay think the lockdowns first thing you do is isolate people Second thing you do, because when you isolate people, it's, it, it not only separates you from any support structure of fellow human beings, it also puts you in a situation where you really can't assess the truth because you only have this little part of the world you're seeing. And you, you're, you're kind of depressed about that whole thing. So then the second thing you do, monopolize their perception. So what did we have? Every night, the mainstream media harping on all the people dying and showing all the corpses and all the bad mm-hmm. things going out, blah, blah, you're going to die. So they got everybody to be afraid. So the monopolized perception, you create fear. And now you're locked down with fear. The third step, which is a very important step, and this is where Dr. Fauci comes in, it's confusion. Then you do what they call uh, the Alice in Wonderland technique. This was outlined in, in a thing called, from, it's called Kubark. And it's a whole issue about adducing um, information. That's what they call it about. So there's a book about this, about how you get information from the enemy prisoners. So you come in one day with an interrogator and you tell the you tell the prisoner something like well how did you like the soup that you had for lunch and then then you and he's and then the next person comes in and says well how did you like the sandwich you had for lunch and none of this makes sense to them because he didn't have either one you know he's being or you'd say, well, you go ahead and pack up because you're going to go home tomorrow. Then the next guy comes in an hour later and hey. says, what are you doing? No, no, we're just, no, you're not going anywhere. Just put that away. So he constantly- That's horrible. Guy, yeah, it's horrible, but it constantly keeps people off their foot, okay? So they're never quite sure of reality. And what that does is produce anxiety. Now, people will do anything to get out of anxiety. And I'm going to explain where we've seen this in action before. But the prince of confusion is Dr. Fauci. First, he tells you, no, no, masks are only for medical people. And then he says, oh, wait, no, you have to wear a mask all, and you have to wear it all the time. Then he says, well, actually, because I, I saved all these comments, okay? Uh, no, actually, masks are really just so you don't touch your face, okay? And I thought to myself when he said that, let me get this right. You're mandating me to wear a mask so I don't touch my own face. Let's look at that one. Let's stand back and think about that one. And then the next step he said was, actually, masks don't really work, but they do. They are a symbol of your wanting to be part of the team that's going to, you know, be, be good to take, you know, we're going to work together on, on getting rid of COVID, you know, it's a good community spirit. Well, even during all this, by the way, the new England journal published, and this is the other thing published an article saying that masks were just, they didn't work, but they were a talisman, a talisman, meaning something that's kind of a religious symbol that gives you good luck. So it made, made, it made our medical people feel safer. Okay, yep. all this is going on, and now you've got him going back and saying, "Oh no, wait, no! Not only do you have to wear a mask, you've got to wear two masks or three masks," you know. And now, and then he backtracked the very next day on that. So, how many confusing things can he tell you? 2015, he told us hydroxychloroquine worked for MERS. Now he's saying, "Oh no, there's no evidence that it works."
2: Oh, he he um, backtracked after one day, but yet still yeah, he a small percentage of people. <laughs> well, I can see. I see. uh It's not a lot, thank goodness. But I would say. I don't know. Ten percent of people, I see wearing two masks now.
3: Yeah, but but again, why did he do that? He did that because the, if you get people anxious, they will do anything to get out of that anxiety zone, mm. including take a vaccine. Now, don't be deceived. He has big money with Gates and these vaccines. Okay, he he personally is not only the highest paid federal employee he personally doesn't have to give up any of that and if he takes private money on top of it so he's he's heavily endowed shall we say by the gates foundation he's the president of the the or the chairman of the board of the uh it's called the the decade of vaccines committee or something i mean he's very very deep into this okay and and so i would just say that there's there there's for some reason and then again we can argue the total motive i think it's a i think it's a takedown but it's they really 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 do not want you to know about treatment but they really 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 want you to have this vaccine and they want everybody to vac- back be vaccinated very quickly before we see the damage come out okay before they yep. yes. get some thoughts. so and and for anybody the other the other you know point about motive I will make but, but if you look by the way if you go down the chart of coercion on, on Biederman it's enforcing trivial demands like standing in a little circle six feet apart think about that yep. when you go yep. to play poker in Vegas and you have to sit behind a little plastic shield I mean who really thinks those little plastic shields at a gas station where you can reach your hand through to pay the person is going to keep viruses from floating around right this is, this is
2: or at a restaurant magically or- if you're if you're sitting down you're protected but if you're walking around it's no good
3: right every bartender at every restaurant knows this is nonsense yeah not only that but when you're sitting down you you're, you're you're dangerous when you walk in you have to have your mask on to walk in you're dangerous right. but the minute you sit down you're safe but then you take your dirty mask off put it on the table put your phone on it That's you see people do that all the time then they've touched they touch everything with these hands that have touched the dirty mask and their phone and they're that's called that's contagion control no because if you want to even wash your hands that they always tell you is important you'd have to put your dirty mask back on to walk by people on other tables that have no mask on there's no way this is science but here's the deal so here's what this anxiety has done to people i asked my friend again the pediatric psychiatrist i said please explain to me the people in cars wearing a mask alone right those are
2: my favorites (laughs)
3: who are these people you know and the joke about somewhere somebody's in a shower wearing a mask but anyway he i do feel a little more sympathy for them here's what he told me he said that's stockholm syndrome it's exactly using this biederman's chart of coercion what happens is when you get the people beaten down enough and they are so anxious then they will cooperate to do anything to get out of the anxiety zone so you know if it means stopping torturing me or if it means getting my, my head not a, tortured with anxiety, I will do what it takes to do that. And in, the, in this case, not only do they, the next stage of cooperation is to, to, to anticipate what your captors want you to do. So you uh, wash your hands 30 times a day and you uh, wear 10 masks and you you, know, you you stand 30 feet apart. Whatever it takes, I'll do even more than they tell me because I want to be safe because they're so afraid. They made them so afraid of this virus. That's, that's a criminal act that's happened here. And it's specifically we've created, not only as the mask created, we've created a generation of children that are afraid instead of being bold, instead of being strong human beings, well, ready to take on the world. We've, we've made them. If, if, if we don't get taken over with this attack, the next one's going to be easy because we're going to have a generation of terrified children that grow up to be terrified young adults that can't defend our country. That's what's, that's, you know, one of the saddest things of this whole mask thing, um, yeah. I see, is I look out my window in Omaha, there used to be, there still is, it's a little daycare down the, down the street a little bit. And I would see these happy little children uh, holding hands two by two as they come back from the pizza place or going to this thing. And now what I see is they've got their little mask on, their heads are bowed, they've got their hands behind their back clasped together like they're in handcuffs, but they're just holding them together. And they're walking two to three feet apart in a perfect line, single file. They look like a little prison parade of miniature gulag prisoners and that's essentially what they are it is the saddest thing you'll ever see and we yeah. can't keep doing this to people so this is a big psychological takedown of our nation and of the world of western civilization
2: but what what do you do now when uh, people again are, are ratting on each other and it's it's come to that you know i hear people now in terms of the vaccines it's like they're brave oh when did you get yours Oh, i'm getting mine on tuesday my arm hurt or I was sick well, for three days, but I did it. You know, that's what I'm hearing now.
3: I know. Well, this is what I'll say. I think the truth. You know, evil loses. The truth always comes out. It just sometimes takes longer than we want. If there's any good news about the vaccine, I think it's so bad the truth's going to come out pretty darn soon. We've already seen over 2,000 deaths in bears, and that that's about that picks up about one percent of what the truth is. I personally am looking at this very i'm about to to send a paper in for publication on um, this particular problem we're seeing with the vaccine which is and these aren't vaccines these are experimental genetic agents we should call them what they are there's a problem with people losing their platelets i'm not i'm not a hematologist at the level i can dissect out the biochemistry of that but it is something we've never seen before Yes, we have platelet disorders. Yes, we have things where people lose enough that they start bleeding, but we never see people dying this quickly from it. We are seeing something new here. And theoretically, the VAERS reporting system, the Vaccine Adverse Event Reporting System set up by the CDC, is supposed to help us identify rare and unusual trends. We've got a big rare and unusual trend that's clearly visible to any second year medical student looking at VAERS. Apparently, there's no second year medical student at the CDC to do that. Um, that's what we need, because I can tell you, it's going to be this what's now a snowball that gets getting started on the top of the mountain is going to shortly be an avalanche. And I think when that becomes more apparent, it's going to be so noticeable that people will not be able to, that the, 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 this is going to bring some, a lot of this stuff to a halt. And then maybe the people that were not questioning the vaccines and not questioning the masks and anything They'll start questioning the vaccines and then they'll start looking around saying maybe this whole thing was a lie. You know, I think that if we're lucky, that's what happens. Okay, And I hope not too many people get killed in the process.
2: Yeah. What do you think is going to happen with you know pushes for mandatory vaccines? It seems like a race, unfortunately, between, quote unquote, enough people dying from it and, uh, you know, them mandating it. Hopefully that the I, I know it's a terrible thing to say, but if there's enough adverse reactions, that might be the only thing that will stop mandatory
3: vaccination. I think that's right. That's why I'm publishing this. I'm working. I'm working to try and do my part to try and make it obvious that they can't ignore what's happening. See, right now they can easily say, "Oh, that's not related. That's not related." And you do that to individuals. You know, it's like we've the, By the way, we've had this uh, happen before. So, if years ago, um, you're too young to remember, but the, but it was a very famous thing. It was it was a drug that was given for pregnancy and nausea okay thalidomide. thalidomide thalidomide was given in the late 50s uh, for for women that had um nausea and what happened was it caused horrendous birth defects but some but not all of them were horrendous some were just like oh you might have a little band around a finger that you were born with nobody's going to notice that that's a big deal but some of the babies started being born without part of their leg again that happens a doctor in rural england sees it happen they see one case they don't they don't put it together. The next case happens in America somewhere. The next case happens in, you know, Australia or Canada. You know, in other words, when it first, when these things first start up, the the the, the reports are very, you know, the people seeing it don't recognize it because it's, it's a one-time event for them. Then when it starts to it. So the people in the cities that collect, they're in big groups, they see more patients through that group, talk to each other. They may be the earliest people to start seeing, well, wait, I not only saw the person missing a leg, but I saw these hands that were connected to the shoulders. That was one of the weird things that started seeing. So, so eventually what happened is and when enough cases were, were appreciated... Then they talked and they, they stopped using it and it went away. But the problem is by the time that happened, there were so many, it took so many cases to be, a, until it became visible. It's like an iceberg. Most of it's under the water. When there was just enough peeking through that enough doctors saw it, it stopped, but they had thousands and thousands, hundreds of thousands of children uh, deformed by this drug. Now, one of the things that the point of the virus should be is to pick up At the snowball level, not wait till the avalanche level. And how do we do that? We should be looking at unusual, look for unusual snowballs, okay? So if I go up to the top of the mountain and I see that there's a Roomba up there artificially stirring up the snow, I could stop that and stop the avalanche from happening, right? Right. But You know, I might not pick up a regular snowball, but I'd see that that was, wait a minute, that's that's not right. So I stop it. That's what we should be seeing here, is we see now something that's so awful and so because it's not just the people there's again it's like the iceberg at the very top of this iceberg there are people that have no platelets okay below them are people that somewhat recover at least in the short term we know they had a platelet dip but it came back okay there are also a whole group of people that are not being recognized as having the problem because they show up with catastrophic brain bleeding or you know, they're dead of a hemorrh- hemorrhagic stroke. And if you think, okay, 75-year-old woman comes in and has a stroke and they look, and it has a CT scan, it shows that it's bleeding, it's a hemorrhage stroke, not a clot stroke. Still, 75-year-old women can have that. So they don't put it together with it being the vaccine. Now, when you read it in the VARES and you read case after case after case, it said patient was normal, living alone, had the, got the vaccine, 48 hours later in the emergency room with a massive brain bleed, Okay. Ooh. The other thing that makes you convinced that this is real is that there's also a lot of reports of excessive bleeding at the injection site. I've never seen that with a vaccine. And keep in mind that 95% of the deaths reported in VAERS now are due to the COVID vaccines. Only all the rest of the vaccines put together, the anaphylaxis, everything is the 5% or less.
2: So by them pushing it so fast and getting it to so many people, we're headed for... uh Do you think we're headed for a disaster or we would already know by a now disaster. It's a disaster?
3: So here's the other problem. So there's three levels of problems with this vaccine. The one I just told you, the, the emergency problem that I see with the, with the platelet problem. The other problem is what killed the animals in the animal testing. That's called immune enhancement or antibody-dependent enhancement. There's another term, similar pathogenic priming. You'll hear, hear all those terms. The principle is what happened and they've never passed animal testing with these agents, okay, they never could pass the safety for the using it as a drug because they could never get it out of animal testing animals died, and they died of a specific issue. What happened is they would give them a vaccine and they didn't have a problem but then when they were exposed to the virus they were supposed to be protected against. The vaccine caused this artificial immune response that coded the virus, but didn't kill it, didn't neutralize it. So now the virus gets into your system and replicates wildly and kills you with overwhelming viral sepsis and cardiac failure. It's called immune enhancement. That can happen. The other thing these things can do is they can, they can prime you so that not, and we've seen this somewhat with back with flu. We knew about it with flu and we knew it with some other vaccines, I give you a vaccine for one virus, but it makes you more susceptible to die of other viruses. So that's also a problem. And when you add all that together, that can be hitting people, not now, but in three, three, six months, uh, next year, the next time they release another bioweapon, who knows? I mean, they could, you you realize, that's one of my complaints. And for a national security issue, we should not be giving this to military. One of my big complaints here is that this can be programmed Artificially to something that doesn't exist in nature. That's step one of a binary poison. And then I could release the trigger later. That's the potential of this kind of technology. Okay. But there's even a third, more devastating issue, and that is, and I and I I'm not at the level of biochemistry to, to know this. I had to contact, I talked to Judy Mikovitz about this. She's a PhD type researcher in this. And what she said was. Because a lot of people ask me, are we going to become G, like GMO potatoes? We're going to become GMO, or we're going to be gene spliced with this stuff? Yeah. Not with the maybe with the Johnson and Johnson, which has a DNA, but this is an RNA vaccine. So the ta- what I'm talking to you about right now is the Moderna, the Pfizer, and I believe the AstraZeneca. I know about the Moderna and Pfizer mostly. That's these are the ones used in the United States are clearly RNA vaccines for the most part. That first came out, so. Those vaccines don't get into your DNA. The the mRNA can't slip in and become part of your DNA. But what it does, mRNA is an epigenetic controller of DNA. So what happens is it can turn on or turn off segments of your DNA. It could turn on cancer genes. It could turn off the genes that protect you against cancer. It could methylate your DNA permanently. And that doesn't, you can't, you know, that causes little, essentially not, areas of your dna that are dysfunctional so there's a real potential for mischief here and it whether by accident or purpose so that what i tell people that are really i I have i have people that no matter how much you tell them they just they want this vaccine because they're so afraid of the virus and i the numbers don't matter to them and i said look do here's what my advice is this isn't an emergency this virus isn't really much here anymore don't rush out and get it right now. We have treatment. If you get sick, we'll treat you, okay? If, but just give it some time. If in a year it makes sense, or six months even, if it makes sense, I think you're going to know a lot more about this these genetic agents by then. Give it a little time. I mean, I you know my ex-husband was a Marine Harrier pilot. If he could have been the first guy on that rocket to the moon, he would have done it. Now, not me. I'm not the first guy to buy a new car, a new model. I don't want the newest, uh, you know, Drug And I don't want them to be the first guy on a rocket to anything. I mean, that's just me. And I don't think most people really want to be the guinea pig. And they need to understand that these are experimental unauthorized agents. They're not FDA approved, even for this, they're only approved as an experimental agent. So you technically, if you take these agents, you are, you are in the fourth stage of the FDA trials, you are an unnamed guinea pig in the FDA trials of this, just so you know, so i, I well, think okay, it's so,
2: a real disaster yeah we, we we've got to end in a second but and this is the hardest question of all and i hate asking it but what's the end game here and what do you think is going to happen over the next year or two
3: well i hope we man up, take off our masks turn off the tv hug our families and get on with our life reopen our businesses i'm very comforted by, by italy that decided they weren't going to take it anymore and all the restaurants got together and on the same day they reopened all the restaurants you know, what are you going to do? You know, we should have learned something from the legalization of marijuana in this country. You know, the FDA still makes it terribly illegal to have marijuana. It's a Schedule I narcotic, according to them. We're just up there with black tar heroin. Now, we all know that's nonsense. But the states that decided we're not going to play this nonsense with you guys at the feds anymore, they just decided to say, "Huh, what are you going to do? You're going to come and arrest all of Colorado? And once one state fell, the other states fell. Okay, so here we have states opening up. They're saying we don't really care what President Biden says. We're going to we're going to open up. We're going to do our thing. Okay. now it's not over, though. Let me just warn you that there is this is not by accident. There are a lot of viruses that can be released again from another at another time from a same or different lab. So they could throw out something else. When doctors are, like I say, when doctors are dying, go to your basement. Okay. But we also, we now, now we have, we have, we're better prepared this time. We know some things to do. We know the treatments, we know the supplements to take. So we're not going to be quite in as bad a situation, but we have to understand that we cannot live our lives. You know, this is like when we entered the nuclear age, right? Well, we didn't live our lives in a bomb shelter just because there was a potential for a nuclear war again, right? That's never gone away. We cannot live our lives. We cannot subject our children to 10 years in a mask. Come on. this is Even if these things worked, it's not the solution. The solution is different. And we have to decide. First, we, we have to stand up as human beings and take our world back. And then what we have to say is how we deal with this issue of these bioweaponizable These labs all working on these projects. You know, we have to, we have to, there's a, there's an enemy out there. We can argue who it is, but we're going to have to recognize it. We're going to have to go after this because we cannot keep being the victims of some madman's, you know, desire. And and the final point I'll leave you with is there's a study in Switzerland that looked at all the world's corporations, over 37 million of them, and they boiled them down to 147 corporations own those 37 million. That beyond that, other researchers have boiled it down to four big financial groups, four big financial funds that own those. So four funds run by 150 men worldwide own over 60 to 70 percent of the corporate wealth of the world if you don't think that you can do a lot of stuff with that bad or good <laughs> you're fooling yourselves that is the it doesn't take a million people for a conspiracy it takes those 150 and okay. i i think we just need to wake up and, and start fighting back and getting our life back for our children yeah.
2: well lee thank you very very much for coming yeah. what's Thanks the best way for people to find out more you know, like I know you have probably had to put stuff up in different places because it's been taken down. But you know, where currently can people find out more information about
3: about you? I'm I'm working. I have a website. It's called TheMedicalRebel.com. dot com. Have to put the T H E there. TheMedicalRebel.com. dot com. And uh, we appreciate anybody's um uh, shopping with us, buying supplements to keep healthy, just because that helps us support the war effort. But in addition, I, I'm starting a Rumble channel with the same name, so we'll. We're, we're trying to put information out there and we do have things on there about your, the code of federal regulations protections you have against being forced to a mandated vaccine. We have our supplements, what you should take, we think for the COVID and other things you can do, how to mitigate your environment. There are things you can do. So we have it all up there.
2: Okay. Excellent. Lee, thank you. Thank you very, very much for coming. I appreciate it. All
0: right. Thank you, Richard. If you like this podcast